Uh, let's pray before we hear God's word. Dear God, thank you that you love us, that you have created this world and all the good things that we enjoy and that you provide daily bread for all people. And pray that we would see your love for us and your provision in our lives and we know the truth um, and put our faith in you and that we'd grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding of you and your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. So yes, as Chris said, it's pretty easy to uh, remember our scripture today, Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. And uh, to let you know, my, uh, my completed sermon was on my laptop that was lost on Friday, so I wrote something different yesterday. It's uh, still on the verse, but a lot shorter <laughs> and, and uh, maybe a little different emphasis than I wrote on Friday beforehand. Um, but so, uh, so pay attention, because this is going to move fast and, and be gone before you know it. <laughs> um, so the prayer for daily bread. What, what are we praying for when we pray for daily bread? Well, the, the prayer for daily bread is a prayer for enough. It is a, a prayer for satisfaction and contentment. And we think about contentment, that's the opposite of anxiety in many ways. And I think all of us would, could, could always use some help with anxiety. And um, daily bread also is, it, that definition includes everything needed for daily life. Um, and Jesus said, you know, with food and clothing, let us be content, meaning with the necessities of life. Let us be content. Uh, the, this phrase, daily bread, also reminds us of the time in Scripture when, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and God provided manna in the wilderness for them to eat. The, the manna, the bread that they called manna. And, uh, but he provided it daily. They woke up in the morning, and there it was, all over the earth. <laughs> and they collected it, and they had just enough to collect each day for what they needed to eat that day. And so they, they couldn't stockpile it. They couldn't hoard it up like toilet paper during a pandemic. They had just enough for each day. And uh, Martin Luther applied this to all the things we need for life. So he said that day, this includes food, clothing, shelter, family, friendship, and civil order. And I, I, he included civil order because our daily bread needs to be protected from theft and from war and disaster. You, know, you, can't, you can't enjoy your daily bread when, the, when there's theft and war and disaster. So these things need to be protected. Um, and I think this is also why uh, a couple weeks ago we, we covered Second Timothy. This is why the Apostle Paul instructed us to pray for the leaders of our government so that we may lead quiet lives in all godliness and peace. And I can tell you in the last couple of days I've, I've appreciated uh, civil order and good government. Good governance, and, and then you know, I'm grateful for those police officers and detectives who came here and responded and investigated. 
I'm, th I'm grateful that there are financial institutions and credit bureaus that I, I can just call them on the phone and I, and I can just put a freeze on my credit and say, you know, just to protect myself from any identity theft. Um, and I can, I can just call and do that before anything, any misuse of that information is, is done. But as I've been thinking about this, I've also be, been reminded that we do live with a lot of abundance. Because um, the truth is the loss of my laptop, the, the laptop itself is not a great loss. I can go out tomorrow and, and buy a new one. Now, what was on the laptop, that might become a great loss. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm not worried. And despite this loss, I'm not worried about whether I'll have enough food to eat today or whether I'm going to lose my home. I'm not worried about my daily bread. There, there's no threat to my daily bread, though there is threat to my mental health. <laughs> um, and the Bible throughout presents radical attitudes regarding contentment. Because of, instead of, of suggesting to, that we pursue more and more, he says, pray for enough. Pray for enough. And alongside that prayer for enough, Scripture instructs us what to do with ourselves, uh, with our enough. He says, lead a, a quiet life. Work with your hands. Live godly towards all people. Work productively so that you have something to share with those in need. And so when, when work is not about accumulation, because we know God will provide us enough. And when it's not about accumulation, then work becomes about improving the lives of your family and your neighbors. You're working to solve problems, to make things better. And we are free to live like this when our faith is that God is our provider. And here, here's some scripture quotes. There's many. I'm just going to give a couple here that talk about God as our provider. Uh, from earlier in Matthew, say the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 44 through 45. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And from Psalm 104, 27-28, These all look to you to give them their food in, in due season. He's speaking about creation. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. And Psalm 145, verse 16, the eyes of all look to you. You give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy, satisfy the desire of every living thing. And that's the nature of God. He is he's the maker of all things. He's the provider of life to all creation. He's generous and constantly giving life and life-giving things even to the unjust. 
So even the unjust are without excuse because if they would look and see, God is merciful and giving and generous even to them. And they can, just looking at that, they can, the unjust can know this about God. And we can be confident in our provision because we have faith in God. He, he wants to satisfy your soul. And we can have faith that what he provides is enough. And we have faith that he is the one who leads us toward what is truly life-giving. And when that faith is present in your life, then this calms your worries and anxieties about whether or not you'll have enough. Jesus transforms your focus so that you aren't working on acquiring the newest thing or accumulating the biggest hoard like you're some sort of dragon on a treasure hoard. Instead, you, you work to help your neighbor improve his life. But this doesn't mean uh, this faith is untested. There are tests of this faith, and, and the, our faith is tested by life's trials. Like one we recently experienced. But that's those aren't the only trials. There's many trials, as we know. Because when, when we're struck by disease, we wonder, hey, where's my daily bread, God? You know, I, I kind of need my body to live. <laughs> You know, your body's essential to daily life. Or when the job falls through and you wonder where your income's going to come from. And you worry, God, where's my daily bread going to come from? I I don't have any money left. Where's it going to come from, God? Or when you are robbed and you worry and you wonder, God, my, my daily bread was stolen. Is my life secure? Is my home safe? Is my job a safe place and you grieve inside for what was lost and you worry if worse is still to come. Uh, Now, earlier this week, I I was at a a Dave Ramsey conference with my father-in-law, first time we'd either of us been to one, and uh, he had a guest speaker with him who's part of their organization, he's an expert on mental health. And, uh, and he talked about, at one point, about our, our chronic issue with anxiety as a, as a society. And now, in, in their context, of course, they're applying this to debt. Because when, so, when you owe a debt to someone to, or some organization, they own part of your life. And you subconsciously, you worry. Whether you're thinking about it out loud or not, there's part of your mind that's worried that someday they're, they're going to cash that in and they're going to take everything. And so the, the, he pointed out, specifically, it's the amygdala. The amygdala in your brain, it triggers anxiety, and anxiety is a, is a physical response. It's your body's way of telling you, warning you, survival instincts. And that, but that anxiety triggered by that subconscious worry there, it's constantly humming then in the back of your brain. That is, it's a constant anxiety hum that physically affects you. And when this is true, you can't, you can't experience peace because your body won't let you. And theft and loss and disease can, can feel the same way. In my case, so I lost my computer, but 
But the back of my brain is constantly worrying whether I'm thinking it out, whether I'm actually consciously thinking it or not. There's part of my brain that's constantly worrying that somehow they're going to figure out how to crack into there and get my personal information and use it to steal my identity. You know, I'm just constantly I'm waiting for that other shoe to drop. And, and it puts my, put my body in this constant fight mode, adrenaline mode. I just, I want to find those guys and chase them down, <laughs> chase after them, you know, or I, or I just want to wrestle a bear, or I just want to grab bricks and stones and stack them into a wall all day long until I have a wall all around me and I feel safe, or until I'm just too exhausted to care anymore. <laughs> but that's the physical response to this. So the last thing I want to do physically is make a phone call and talk to someone on the phone and work my way through their phone tree <laughs> to, to, to finally talk to the right person who can help me. Or the last thing I want to do is get on a computer and, and tap out, you know, <laughs> those things. That when you're in anxiety fight mode, those, that's the last thing you want to do physically is those little nitty gritty things. But we as people, we can't live this way long term. We can't live this way chronically in fight mode 24-7. And, and I know because the military specializes in this. We spend months training people to respond during combat. Because when that stress hits you, all the critical thinking in the front of your brain, that goes out the window. That's gone. And so the muscle memory kicks in and you just do what you were trained to do. And, and we prepare our sailors to sustain that for a long time. And there was one deployment, our, our crew was short-staffed, and so we tried to maintain full operations on, on average three hours of sleep a day for three months straight. And uh, let me tell you that that, I can personally tell you that is not possible. <laughs> um, with, with the training and preparation and, and conditioning we do, you, you can maintain it for about three weeks. That, that's doable. Once you cross over seven weeks, that is dangerous. It's dangerous to everyone's health. It's dangerous to, I mean, you're trying to, you're trying to maintain and safely steer an 8,000-ton displacement warship and without hitting anything else and everyone on board is fatigued and prone to mistakes and doesn't, is barely aware of what they're doing. <laughs> and at the end of all that, you're going to need months to recover. Well, after about the third month, we realized that this wasn't sustainable. We changed the rotations up so it was a more, people had more opportunity to get recovery sleep. But we still had to do four months of deployment after that. We, there was no like months of recovery. We just had to maintain something slightly more manageable <laughs> for four more months. But, but you need, you have to take recovery after your body goes through this. And too many people just in regular society, they're, they're living that way that I described with, with chronic anxiety and stress and no sleep and, and they have no margin to recover and they're, and they're carrying the whole weight of the world on their shoulders, afraid that they're going to lose their daily bread. And so how can our faith hold up under this? How can our faith pre 
persevere when our daily bread is threatened because this happens. Christians are persecuted. They are robbed. They are beaten. They are, they, Christians starve to death. Where, where was their daily bread? Well, our faith is strengthened when we look to Jesus Christ and his word. Because when you look at his suffering and death, you get the same question. Where was Jesus' daily bread? Where was what he needed for life? Because you will go through in the Gospels and his, his minis- earthly ministry, he was, he was a wandering homeless preacher <laughs> who, who yet throughout that, God provided his daily bread until he didn't. And jealous powers took him away, locked him up, falsely accused him, beat him, and then killed him on a cross. He suffered the loss of all things, even his life. Evil happened. But Jesus told us this would be so. He warned his disciples that he would be crucified. And he also taught us that these things will happen to us. He said this on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So in this world, thieves are going to break in and steal. It's going to happen. And God never promised otherwise. So he says, don't put your heart in those treasures. Put them in the heavenly treasures. Our suffering and loss is not the end of the story because Jesus' suffering and death was not the end of his story. He was raised from the dead to eternal life. Because in his, in his death, he took all the suffering and loss that we commit against each other. And he took that upon himself so that in his resurrection, he can offer to us, to all who believe in him, he can offer the eternal treasures. He can offer you eternal bread. John six thirty five. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus will satisfy the deepest hunger and thirst in your life. He will satisfy you within your soul. In John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus satisfies you with himself. He is the living bread that is both daily and eternal. And when you believe in him, this bread, this treasure is stored for you in heaven and also alive in your heart. John 7, 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers 
of living water. So those who come to God and confess their sin and call upon Jesus as their Savior, Jesus says He will transform their hearts. He will transform their hearts so that His peace will live inside you. So instead of the pursuit, the constant pursuit of, of more, instead of the need to consume and acquire, there is a stream of life that is constantly flowing out of you. So con contentment and satisfaction, they live inside your soul and grow. And they do this when you know God. When God is the one who satisfies your soul then that satisfaction is alive inside you and grows inside you. Now, this does not mean that all anxiety just ceases and disappears. Poof. <laughs> I wish it did. <laughs> but we all carry the scars and the trauma of what we've experienced. But they do heal. And I think of Jesus. When he came from back from the dead to his disciples, he bore the scars of his crucifixion. He said, look at the holes, look at the holes, the scars on my hand. Look at the scars on my side. They were there, proof of what he'd been through, but also proof that he was healed and restored and alive. So now we have spiritual resources feeding our soul to push back against the anxiety to heal and restore us. It is so much better to face these anxieties with God in your life than without him. Because we need that perspective that only truth can bring. We need faith that God is our provider, even, especially when the world's evil. And we need God to live inside us and give us his peace, that peace that passes understanding. And the question is do you know that peace? And if you know it, do you remind? yourself of it? Do you return and, and drink from that fountain that is Christ and his word? And, and sometimes the best thing we can do in our distress is simply worship God. And, and late Friday night when the police finally let us go home and, and there I finally ran out of anything constructive I could do and I finally let myself feel it and feel the loss and I was driving back, and, and I just, I, I think it was a spirit prompting to, to just say, to worship me. And the, the song that came into my head was, was brought to my heart was, was Lord, I need you. And so I sang what, what I could remember of it, I sang there in the car. And, and as we close here, I, I would like to, to lead you in, in singing this song together and worshiping God in that song. And so I'm going to ask uh, the the soundboard, to keep my mic on, because I, I am going to sing it, and, uh, but, and uh, to put the song up forward, and, uh, and I'll start us off, but I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as well, and, and I'll lead us together uh, in this song, Lord, I Need You. <laughs> 